Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Here's part two. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. So, yeah, I think... Oh, I, Go ahead, Jeff. I, so, so imagine that uh, we got we got a couple listeners who uh, who just graduated with their their uh, elementary ed degrees, and they're going to they've got their uh, their first jobs. Uh, they're on summer vacation now, and they they because they're they're such good students. They're they're listening to some podcasts over the summer. When they walk <laughs> into their when they walk into their second and third grade classrooms this fall, what advice would you have for them when it comes to homework and recess? These first-time teachers, uh, and, uh, they spend, oh, let's round it to $100,000 on their education, and, and, and the topic never came up in their, in their teacher prep classes, which might be another episode we have to do. But what, what advice would you have for them? Well, I would definitely not give homework at the elementary level, and more and more schools are moving to that. Um, for instance, I mean, it just becomes a part of the school policy. For instance, the public elementary in my town that my son will be attending in the fall has always given homework, or at least the last you know several years or decade. And this fall is moving to uh, no elementary school homework at all. Um, so if your school, I would say, if your school is still giving elementary homework, definitely bring that up as a conversation, or and ask your administrator if it's if it's okay that you just don't do it. Um, recess is a little trickier because it's usually scheduled in as part of the day. But with young kids, you certainly need to give them a lot of, of, a lot of breaks and a lot of movement. Right. You know, it's interesting because I think this, the recess, as you say, it, it's a schedule, part of the schedule, so it could be trickier to shift. But at the same time, I think more people, parents, adults, get recess. They, they may feel that yeah. there's not enough time for it, but I think... It's not such a uh, um, controversial one, whereas the homework one seems to hit adult hot buttons all over the place. Is that your your rea- um, what you found in reactions to to the two topics? Yeah, I think I think more and more people are getting are understanding that homework for really young kids is not okay. I think where people where parents maybe get a little confused is when you starting get to get into like second, third, fourth grade. Um, that's more of where maybe parents start to feel that their kids should be getting homework. And then I must say that I'm I'm not sure exactly where where that line falls where where homework goes from being um, not beneficial and po- possibly homework to being okay and maybe helpful. Um, right. Are you talking as far as age goes? Yeah, or? age. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, the, just, where I taught fifth and sixth grade is probably at that line. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I grew up having a no homework as a child at all. 
Um, I did have someone I went to middle school, but not right. in elementary me too. school. And yeah, me that too. was um, – I was great as a kid. <laughs> it was great having no homework. But I think what is interesting to most adults is, um, is it okay? Will the child not develop those senses of responsibility and study habits that they feel like that's why they're giving homework at these younger ages to get them ready for, say, a, a competitive high school or, or a competitive college or something later when, when their brains and bodies are older. Um, and I know from personal experience, the, um, going from zero homework to homework at, in high school and college was a simple transition um, for not just my family, but the we went through with the same kids all the way through, and they were all kinds of different learning styles. And everybody seemed to be fine with um, taking on some homework when they were older. Um, there's a lot of debate, too, about whether homework is even important in, um, in high school years. And if and you mentioned Finland, I was just watching the documentary Where to Invade Next, and it has a section <laughs> on um, homework. Um, oh, it does. Oh. And it had, in Scandinavia, I forget if it's Finland or Sweden or Norway at that point, but it's it's one of the Scandinavian countries, and they're interviewing high school students who all speak four languages, et cetera, et cetera, and they have either zero homework or 10 minutes a day at the high school level. And talking to these kids, you can tell that they are highly educated and competent near adults, um, but they're part of a system that that teaches during the school day and allows them time to be a human being and yeah. explore their own interests off school time. So our, our culture, my, my personal um, advocacy is no homework in elementary school because that's where we're really falling down. But I think we um, slam kids in middle school, which for some schools starts in fifth grade, some sixth grade, and that's also wrong. Those are quite young kids. Um, they might need a tiny bit if they're entering a homework culture for high school, a tiny bit in middle school to practice. But tiny can mean 10 minutes or five minutes. It doesn't have to be long. It's, it's more the act of remembering you have to do something than anything else, like remembering to feed the dog, <laughs> remembering <laughs> to give the drink yeah. fresh water in the water bottle. It's that active uh, remembering and it, that's almost more important than doing the work itself. Yeah, and I mean, I because I was a writing teacher, um, th those like that fifth and sixth grade age is when you know you didn't obviously they weren't writing long papers or anything, but you could really get them to develop kind of the daily habits of a writer. So one of my favorite types of writing or homework assignments were was to keep, have kids keep a writing notebook, just like a real writer would. And so, like, whenever, if they were playing or doing something else and an, an idea came to them of what to write about or what, what to write a poem about, they'd, you know, write it down, that type of, you know. So I think for certain, for that sort of thing, I can see it being helpful um, in writing instruction. But again, it's more like the quantity. Well, but if kids aren't doing two or three hours of homework every night, I mean, what are they going to be doing? I mean, they could, they could be out there. I mean, they, they could, they could turn into ne'er-do-wells and they could be hanging out on the street corners or something. What, I mean, what would, 
what well, are kids going to What are kids going to do if they don't have homework to do? Yeah, they might yeah. think their own thoughts. They might come up with their own ideas well, about what to do. Are we sure we want that? I'm scary. No, it might be dangerous and, and unstabilize the country, destabilize the country. But yeah, there's there's lots of elements to this. But I think part of it is, um, in fact, Jeff and I were just talking about. Oh, it's summer vacation. Um, we have to entertain the kids. I think there's a if they're doing homework, we know they are sitting with their butts in a chair and they're not moving from the kitchen table. But if or, they, God forbid, wandering the streets of your neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's an idea of okay, we know what they're up to, um, but the point of being alive is really to figure out who you are and go do things. So yeah, um, yeah, we can be a little bit scared of having the kids. Uh, be alive yeah definitely and I was also going to say before this is more about the recess and what I would say to a teacher is that recess I think you mentioned this in your book that recess doesn't necessarily have to be a scheduled time where the kids run around on a certain playground or anything um or break like there can be break times and I think a lot of teachers are afraid of that like this like your like this unstructured time where the kids aren't sitting at their desks. <laughs> like you can have break time and have the kids move around and talk to each other and just like or just zone out or do whatever in the course of your normal day. But right. teachers yeah. just don't do that ever. Like like there's no it's just march to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Mhm. Yeah. Well, my um, my kids go to a K through eight school, and in the in the middle school, they have chat time in the morning where the school starts, and the first thing they do is get all their social yabbers out. By chatting <laughs> That's a great together. idea. The teachers <laughs> don't even try to maintain order for a little while; they just let them because they're all preteens and they just want to be with each other. And if they don't give that some release, um, yep. especially when they're just coming together in the morning, then they. They don't get anything done, so they they have a built-in chat time at the beginning. So maybe yeah. we should all have that throughout the day. Definitely. Um, yeah. What else would you like parents or teachers to know? I I think that with my um, my book, it's okay to go up the slide. I'm really trying to reach both teachers and parents. Parents who might feel this isn't right for my kid. Um, how do I? buck the system and how do I do it in a respectful way because I think underneath we all respect teachers we just don't know how to go about it sometimes what what did, what thoughts would you have for a parent in that situation or for a teacher who if you're a teacher and you've been assigning homework if a parent comes to you and says we are going to opt out of this for our family um, what kind of advice do you have for how to react to that and how to cope with that um I think most teachers at this point are fairly used to that reaction. I don't think that they would find that surprising. Really? But That's amazing. From from the ones that I'm, my family is full of teachers, my sister teaches high school, my sister-in-law teaches middle school, and that, I mean, I think there is a greater and greater awareness among parents that this is an option you can do, Um so, because when I give presentations to parents, usually 200, 300 people at a time, I see the jaws 
drop, and they land <laughs> on the floor with a clatter. I can actually hear the bones hitting the tile floor. Yep. Really? Them, you do not have to do homework just because the teacher tells your kid to. You do not have to have – you are still the parent and the boss of your family. You did not abdicate authority when you sent your child to school. And yeah. the jaws clat, clatter and roll around. And to, to so many intelligent, caring adults, this is brand new news. Well, I felt that also about, you know, I, I redshirted my son, basically. I, he's six now, and he'll be going into kindergarten, and I kept him back for a year. And I wrote a piece, oh, probably less than a month ago, about, um, it's, I, it's just called, It's Okay If You Don't Send Your Five-Year-Old to School, <laughs> to kindergarten. <laughs> and the reaction from that was like, what? <laughs> you know, that you're somehow you know, trying to trick the system or you're, it's not fair to other kids. And, you know, I don't, I think that's one area where I definitely feel like, and that is, you know, that's part of your book too. Like the whole kindergarten thing, I feel like there needs to be a lot greater awareness of what parents' options are. Mm-hmm. I, I so, just don't think. Right. When you're, um, um, talking about that, you're, the reactions you're getting, that you're tricking the system, it's not fair to other kids, they're worried that you're going to be sending your super smart, um, year older than everybody else child to compete with their poor little five-year-old. Is that the, the main reaction? Yeah, or just the consequences of, well, what if everyone did that? Or, you know, what's the precedent for this? Um, mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Um and, and are you yeah, and that, I mean that's definitely an issue area where I changed a hundred and eighty degrees um, about it. you know when I I thought no matter what you send your kid to school when they're five when the age is appropriate. And I wrote a piece and um, I don't want my son to read in kindergarten. I think I forwarded you that where I just talked about that. I couldn't believe what kindergarten was today. Like, and I think a lot of parents don't understand how profoundly different um, the early grades are from when they were kids. And I think if a lot of parents understood that, they would understand other parents' reasonings for not reasoning for not um, sending their kids to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So do you think we need to send all parents to kindergarten to sit in for a whole school day? Whoa. I think that would be fantastic. Still that I, whole time? Yes, I do. I do. Because um, I was, I sat in on a lot of kindergarten programs, partly for the research for my book and partly for my own kids. And I tell you, I got so bored and restless and fidgety. Um, I'm not used to, and I'm a writer. I sit still a lot. (laughs) I mean, I'm actually pretty good at sitting still. But I was so bored and so fidgety. I couldn't believe how well the kids were sitting. They'd been so trained to sit for much longer than I was trained to sit. Um, There was an amazing Washington Post article. (laughs) Yeah. I said there was an amazing Washington Post article by, um, I think it was Angela Hanscom, about that very topic of what a visiting or she whoever the writer was had visited kindergartens and she could could not believe how long kids were sitting <laughs> just 
just, yeah. I mean, my kindergarten classroom had a giant slide and a sandbox and like a puppet show corner and our little nap mats and it was half day. Mm-hmm. So what, um, I, and I get into a lot of ideas about what you can do instead of formal kindergarten, including yeah, and it's great. What, what kind of ideas have you talked about with um, family and friends that you know about ideas of what might work for them for doing an, an alternate kindergarten year? Um, well, in my article, I talked about, first of all, first of all, make sure, check out your kindergarten because there's a lot, there's a lot of differences between school districts, between how different schools handle kindergarten. Um, so, and ask, ask the administration, ask the principal, ask the teachers, do they give homework? How much recess do kids get? How long are they expected to sit at desks? That sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, if if you're uncomfortable with their answers, hold hold your kid back a year and see if you know see if it might work out a little better once once your kid's a year older. And there's always I have a couple friends who decided to homeschool for kindergarten, um, who are the same age as my son, and now they're going into public school kindergarten or kindergarten now, um, or public school for first grade. I mean. Um, check out the... I was just going to say, that's an option I think many parents don't think of. They think either you send your kid to kindergarten or you hold them back a year and see if they'll mature enough so they can handle the adult misplaced expectations uh, when they're a year older. But I think one thing that we often don't think of is um, you don't have to go to kindergarten. You can do something else during the kindergarten year um, you can even formally have it be kindergarten in some way, just mm-hmm. not through the school, and go directly to first grade. Um, yeah. And that's what my I friend did as a who kid. Is... That's what my brother did as a kid. That's what my own children, one of them did. So it's it's completely doable, but I think it's an option that doesn't come into our radar very often as parents. So that's that's an option for parents, too. And I also investigated in my area um, – our, my state, New York, doesn't have a formalized program for this, but there are a few different transitional kindergarten programs in my area that are meant for, you know, young fives and kids who aren't quite ready for kindergarten. Um, so that's also an option. Right. And sometimes that's a very economical option for families because it's often yep. a free program. Um, however, and that's one we used in our family mostly because um, the daycare bills were getting really tight that year. So we were looking at one of those um, Young Five programs where they they pay for it. But, of course, the program itself was mostly uh, a duplicate of the kindergarten, meaning it was the same curriculum, the same sitting still, the same misplaced academic expectations, but it was shorter. It was a little more kid-friendly because they were supposedly not ready yet. Right. (laughs) Um, But it did give us some economic breathing space. So I think when we look at those transitional programs, um, they may or may not be a good program. They may be um, the best you can find, but they may not be wildly different they may be right. more of a watered-down version of kindergarten rather than something appropriate for the kids. So that's always something to keep in mind. Right. Well, the ones that we don't have that, a public version of that in New York State. So what I was looking at was there's a 
Montessori program that had a um, transitional kindergarten year, and um, there was another private school option that had that. Um, and those were half day. Right. So lots of lots of ideas, whether we're talking about recess or homework or kindergarten, um, about look at your child and look at what she's ready for, he's ready for, and not so much trying to change your kid, but change your own ideas and other adults' expectations so it fits, instead of trying mm-hmm. to mush your child into um, uh, the wrong expectations because we don't want kids to be miserable. We want them to start school with a absolute love of learning because they're going to be in school for many, many years. And if we start off on the wrong foot, that, that can give them a pretty negative um, approach. To well, them. and hopefully they'll be learning uh, even for more years. Yeah, yeah. Lifelong learning, really? Yeah, it, could, it could be a thing. <laughs> and I yeah. also said that, I mean, a lot of these options that we're talking about, particularly for kindergarten, are not options that the majority of people can do you know you a lot of parents can't homeschool their kid they can't they don't have a can't afford a private school year um so one thing that i mentioned in my article is just is the advocacy component um even if you have options getting involved in some of the organizations like defending the early years or or some other even just on Facebook and spreading the word about this among your friends and family and spreading the word that, um, and fighting back about the, against the common core standards for the early years, uh, New York state had a whole petition that was spread pretty wildly, wild, widely, um, about, uh, boycotting the K to two standards. Um, for Common Core in our state, um, so that so that sort sort of thing also, right. and so just speak m- up, and speak, speak up, often. definitely speak up and learn and learn that. When I um, wrote that piece that was in the Washington Post, it was called "I don't want my I don't want my kid to read in kindergarten," and just the reaction from that, it was like one of the most commented pieces in the education section ever, because people were just like, "Of course your kid needs to read in kindergarten." I read when I was three. Blah blah blah. Like just the idea that this is not something you can force on a kid, just like the age that they walk is not something that you can force on a kid, just seemed like this completely new concept. So there just needs to be a greater awareness of what developmentally um, appropriate instruction looks like and how kids reach milestones sort of at their own pace too. Mm -hmm. Good. And, um, I think we also need to do some advocacy and teacher training so that we can get yep. a little bit of mention of of um, practical day things like, like homework and recess because those, too, are fundamental to the happiness and well-being of a child um, for many, many years. So, I agree. Well, thanks so much for um, being with us and, and sharing well, your you. journey from um, <laughs> Uh, different ideas when you started off to where you are today because I think that that in itself is the most important is that we are all willing to learn and change and maybe even do a 180 on where we used to be um, for the sake of kids. Yes, I certainly did. Hey, Jessica, before we wrap up, can you tell people that need more of you in their lives where to find you on the interwebs if they want to find articles and stuff? Um, 
Well, on my Facebook page, it's just called School of Smock. My last name is S-M-O-C-K. Um, and also on Twitter. And my blog is the same name. All right. That's a that's a, that's something we want to make sure our listeners have. Hey, Jessica, thanks Great, for joining thank us. Um, Heather, anything, any any words of wisdom as we as we wrap up the wrap up? I think to um, keep the kids' minds open and excited, we need to keep our adult minds open and hopefully excited. And I was excited to have you today, Jessica. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank us. you for having me. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.